Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you, Blunstown, Shipley, and Mariana. Today, we're in our second part of our sermon series entitled Relational Intelligence. Now, one thing, though, before we jump into today's talk, in fact, two things, but let's do the first is just kind of pause and celebrate what you allowed God to do through you as a church to be for others who were impacted by the tornadoes back in, in January. And so two weeks ago at our $4 for Others Sunday, um, we ask you to give $4 to help the relief of those who are affected by the tornadoes, as I said. And here's how you bless those in our communities. Bustown, you gave $4,322. Chipley, you gave $2,273.44. And Mariana, $6,229.79 for a total of $12,825.23. Now, before you celebrate that, hang on just a second. I just want to say because of the generosity of this church and those of you that even gave right during the time of the tornado, and then also just because of the generosity of those you consistently give, you've already given out on top of this already $25,000 back into our community. So I just want to say thank you so much for being a generous church. So can we celebrate how that you're allowing God to use you as a church to be for others? Yes, it's incredible. It really is. So as I say every time, listen, we should be known for our no-strings-attached generosity because God so loved the world that he gave. And, and we just, we, we can't do enough, I think, to help people understand that God is for them by the way that we're for them. Now, one other thing that we'd like you to do before we get into today's conversation, um, something we'd like for all of you to participate in. As you know, our mission is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus. And we would love for you to help us get better. So here's how you can do that. Last week, we gave you a question to ask to help you be more relationally self-aware, and that was like, what was it like to, or what's it like to experience me? So we're gonna basically ask you that same question about your experience here at RCC. So here's how we'd like for you to help us with that. If everybody will, Blunstown, Chipley, and Mariana, everybody please take out your cell phone right now. Make sure you silence it, but everybody take out your cell phone. Everybody, check your cell phone out. All right, here we go. Now, um, open the RCC app. And if you don't have the RCC app, you can scan that QR code that is on the seat back there in front of you. All right, now when you open it up, there's going to be a tab that says feedback survey. Now, let me just go ahead and say something. In the first service, we had some people and I don't want to say this in a diminishing way, but we had some people who have Android phones that it wasn't working on. I'm sorry. Okay? Um, so when you try to open this up, if you have an Android, it may work or may not work. We didn't realize that was going to be a problem, um, but everybody had an Apple, I'm just saying. But anyhow, um, the point... So here's, here's the thing. There are 13 checkbox questions. Now, if you're a first-time guest, you're like, wow, this is the weirdest thing I ever experienced in a church. Um, but we really want to get better at leading people and fulfilling our mission. So maybe if you're a first-time guest, you want to wait till you've had your experience here today to give us your feedback. Um, but I would love for all of you to check those questions. There's 13 questions. And by the way, this is anonymous. Nobody will know what you have, have um, put on here um, other than we will. it will all be compiled into big... Um, data thing, however they do that, right? So um, here's the thing. It's going to take about a minute. So we're going to put one minute on the screen and we're going to play some background music. And no, it's not going to be Jeopardy, but you can go ahead and start answering those questions, all right? And then we'll jump into today's sermon. 
Okay, if you didn't finish, you go ahead and continue to finish. And then we also just discovered, because we have some really smart people in this church, and I appreciate it, um, is they said that if you scan, if you have an Android and you scan the QR code, it works that way. So if you don't do it through the app with Android, but you scan the QR code on the back of your seat, you can do that. So if you want to go ahead and do that sometime, feel free to do that. Now go ahead and grab your Bibles, and if you want to go to the talk part of the app where you have the talk notes for today, go ahead and grab those as we dive in into our second part of our series, sermon series, entitled Relational Intelligence. And if you wonder what is a sermon series, it's basically one sermon that we do over two, three, or four weeks because there's so much we want to say, and you just can't do it in one week. So last week, we started this series on relationships, and we shared something that all of us have in common when it comes to relationships, and that is this. We think that the way that we relate to people, the way that we interact with people is above average. In fact, most of us, we really believe deep down that our level of relational intelligence is very high, at least higher than the people around us. So what we discovered last week is when it comes to our relationships, our overestimation of our relational intelligence is the number one relational limiter in our lives. And if you weren't here last week and you didn't hear all that and didn't understand why that is true, I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week's sermon. It's an amazing sermon, I think, because not because I did it, but because of what the Word God, of God says about it, right? Because um, there's just such powerful truth there. So oftentimes, though, when we hear this, our overestimation of our relational intelligence is the number one relational limiter in our lives. There's this pushback on this whole idea that the number one limiter in our life is blind spots or our overestimation of ourselves. But the truth is, our sin, meaning our pride and our ego, what it does is it blinds us from being self-aware. We said last week that we lack external self-awareness. In fact, what social scientists say is that our lack of self-awareness is getting worse. In fact, David Brooks says it this way. He says, we have seen a broad shift from a culture of humility to the culture of what you might call the big me. From a culture that encourages people to think humbly of themselves to a culture that encourages people to see themselves as the center of the universe, the big me mindset. In fact, in 1954, 12% of Americans considered themselves to be a very important person, the big me mindset. But by 1989, that number has grown to 80%. And I'm sure if we did another survey or somebody did another survey based on the same thing, it would be in the 90s. This whole mindset, the big me, I'm the center of the universe. In fact, John Ortberg says that we are so convinced of our greatness that we don't realize how many relational blind spots that we have. And what we mean by blind spots or relational blind spots is this. It's areas where our thoughts, our emotions, our feelings, and our reactions get in our way without us even realizing it relationally. Now, here's the thing. While we all have blind spots and while we're all blind to them, what's interesting about blind spots is that other people around us, as we talked about last week, they can see them clearly because they understand what it's like to experience us relationally. So while we all have different relational blind spots, what's interesting is this. There's one underlying emotion that we all have in common that creates relational blind spots for all of us. And this relational or this emotion, it affects how we see other people, how we interact with other people a whole lot more than what we realize. 
So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this blind spot that is fueled by this emotion, and it is driven by our ego and our pride. So everybody ready to figure out what this blind spot is? You ready to discover it? Because it's going to be a little bit painful. Everybody ready on all our campus? Here it is. It is insecurity. Now, we don't think about it, but insecurity, it shows itself in so many different ways in our relationships. While everyone is not an insecure person, everyone has some insecurities. They, they just show up in different ways in different areas of our lives. So we all have these different triggers in our life, but whatever it is that triggers our insecurities, whenever they surface, our insecurities, whenever they surface, it causes stress and issues and drama and conflict because we're unaware. And we oftentimes believe it's the other people that are creating the issues, the drama and the conflict in our relationships, when in all reality, it is our insecurity that is creating that. But we're we're unaware of that. And here's what I know. You don't have to be a Christ follower to believe this or understand this. Because every one of us, we struggle with something that drives our insecurity. It is human nature. And that something that drives our insecurity is the issue of comparing ourselves to one another. In other words, we tend to look to the left or we tend to look to the right and we try to figure out where we stand and how we're doing with all these people that are around us. Like there's something in all of us that wants to be richer and smarter and prettier and stronger and funny and better than you or somebody or everybody in some area or in some arena of life. And because all of us live our lives comparing ourselves to the other people around us, what it's doing is, for many of you, it's driving you into debt. It's creating conflict in your workplace without you realizing it. It's keeping you from experiencing the closeness in relationships that you want because you're always in this comparison mode and you don't realize it, but you're putting up walls. It's driving your spouse away, your kids away, because they never can measure up to what your expectations are. But maybe worse of all, whenever you play the comparison game, it leaves you with one or two of two really bad options. Either you realize you're doing worse than others and you end up feeling more insecure or you feel like you're doing better than others and you become even more proud. Your ego gets bigger. And by the way, pride is actually nothing more than a subtle form of insecurity because the more pride you have, the greater, the more insecure you are. Let me say that again. The more pride you have, the more insecure you are. The bigger your ego is, the easier it is to pop. So as one person said, all pride is, is insecurity all dressed up. So let's take ourselves out of the equation for just a second. Like, we all know what it's like to be on the other side of an insecure person, don't we? We've all been there. Like we said, it's, it's frustrating and it's exhausting, isn't it? Like, you feel like that you have to walk on eggshells and you have to tiptoe around that person and you're always on guard with everything that you say because you know that if that person filters your innocent comments through their insecurity, it is going to lead to some kind of big relational meltdown, some kind of relational conflict. Because as we said, everyone has insecurities. 
Not everybody's an insecure person, but everybody has pockets of insecurities that rise to the top, and I'm going to show you why in just a moment. So what we all try to do, because we all have insecurities, is we try to figure out how to resolve those insecurities that keep rising to the top and causing issues in our life. In our culture, we think we have come up with a pretty good solution to solve the insecurity problem. And here's what our culture says. Our culture says that accomplishment and achievement is the cure for insecurity. Our our culture says, hey, if you're feeling insecure in some way, then what you need to do is you need to work at accomplishing and achieving more to get rid of that feeling of insecurity. And And basically our culture says, hey, once you've accomplished enough, once you've achieved enough, then here's what's gonna happen. There's gonna be enough people patting you on the back and they're gonna start recognizing your accomplishments. Then you're gonna have a high enough self esteem And then your insecurity will disappear when your self-esteem is good. In fact, parents are even buying into that lie. Oh, if I can just give my child a good sense of self-esteem, then their insecurity will go away. No, 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 no. As you're going to see from the Apostle Paul today, that's not what makes our insecurity go away. See, our culture says, listen, if you're insecure about your looks, then work out, eat better, get your body in shape. So that people start telling you, hey, you look so great. Oh, I can't believe you're that old. You look so young, you know, because you're in such good shape. And then you won't feel insecure. You'll have a high enough self-esteem. You won't feel insecure about your looks anymore. Or, Or our culture says, hey, if you feel insecure about what you have, no problem. Just go borrow some money, buy a bigger house, buy a nicer car, or whatever you need to make yourself feel successful and and secure so it raises your sense of self-esteem, and then your insecurity will go away. See, our culture is convinced, and they try to tell us that if we accomplish enough, if we achieve enough, then our self-esteem will be high enough, and that is the cure for insecurity. Matter of fact, this whole idea of accomplishment is secure, accomplishment, achievement is secure for insecurity, it's the idea behind the foundation of all marketing. Like, pretty much watch any commercial, read anything they say, any ad, And almost every one of them have the same message. Our product will help you accomplish. Our product will help you achieve. You fill in the blank. And then it's going to lift your self-esteem. And you won't feel so insecure anymore. There's only one problem with that. It's not true. See, accomplishment and achievement are like an energy drink. It helps for a short burst. But it doesn't solve the problem. Because see, when you really get to the heart of what's driving our insecurity, what you discover is no matter how big the accomplishment is, how big the achievement is, it doesn't last. Because you may feel on top of the world for a moment, but all it takes is seeing somebody else with a little bit more, who did a little bit better than you for a little bit longer to bring all of your insecurities right back to the surface in your life. So here's what I want us to answer today from God's word. What really goes into this blank? How do you really keep insecurity from causing blind spots in your relationships? Well, the Apostle Paul talks about this in his letter to the Philippians. So if you want to take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Philippians. Because this is interesting. Because if anybody could feel free or should feel free from insecurity, if you understand the life of the Apostle Paul, you would think it would be him. Because see, in his line of work, nobody accomplished more. In fact, here are a few things from the Apostle Paul's list of accomplishments. I mean, think about this. 
He started dozens of churches. He led thousands of people into to begin a relationship with God. He, he wrote over a third of the New Testament. He took the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, into the entire known world. As a single apostle, he did almost more than all the other apostles combined, it seems. I mean, this guy, his entire life was a string of accomplishments and achievements that none of us probably will ever top. So if anybody could look to his left or his right and say, I've accomplished more and I've solved my insecurity from my accomplishments and my achievements, then that would be the Apostle Paul. But as the Apostle Paul explains in Philippians, we're going to be looking in Philippians chapter 3 if you want to go there, he says accomplishment and achievement is the answer. In fact, look at what he says in this passage in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. He says, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. That phrase there, confidence of flesh, it was just first century way of saying, look at who I am and look at what I've done. In essence, the apostle Paul is saying, the greatest cause of insecurity is when I try to put my confidence in the flesh, in my natural abilities, in my skill, in my wisdom, and in my talents. And the Apostle Paul, he knows this from his experience of life. He also knows from his ministry experience to people that if we're not careful, we will put confidence in something or someone to give us some sense of security. In fact, look how he talks about this starting in verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for such confidence, literally meaning to put his confidence in the flesh, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, notice what he says, I have more. So the apostle Paul says, if putting confidence in his accomplishments and achievement was the answer for insecurity, he says, I would know that because in my accomplishments, I have way more. My accomplishments blow all of your accomplishments away. And then he gives us this list of credentials that he used to put his confidence in before he became a follower of Jesus. Now, I just want to go and say, this list of credentials is not going to impress you guys. Because all of these things were the things that Jewish people, first century, kind of measured their accomplishments and achievements by, their worth and their value by. Now, we've got our own 21st century version in America. But when the people of Philippi read this list, they were like blown away. Probably felt even more insecure. Here's what he says in verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Now again, for many of us, this means nothing to us, but this would be like some of you saying something like, well, I graduated from Yale or I graduated from Harvard or MIT or Stanford or Chipola College. Like, man, I graduated, right? And I got credentials. Or I'm the recipient of the Presidential Medal of Honor or, or the Medal of Freedom or a Purple Heart or I won the Heisman Trophy or I won more Super Bowls than Tom Brady, right? I'm like the greatest of all time. See, that's how impressive the Apostle Paul's list is here to the Jewish people. He's basically saying, whatever impresses you, I've got the credentials. And if you think you've achieved anything, I have more. 
And then the Apostle Paul, it's like he just kind of pauses here and says, okay, I've put that out there in front of you. And then he goes into this reflection mode. And he says, you know what? Here's what I can tell you. It didn't work. It did not work to cure my insecurity. I had all the achievements. I had all the accomplishments that anybody could want. But it did not solve my insecurity. So here's what he says about his resume and his accomplishments in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, whatever my gains, my achievements, my accomplishments were, I now consider loss. And if you write notes in your Bible, write the word worthless. You're going to see why in just a moment. I now consider worthless for the sake of Christ. What is more? I consider everything, all of these accomplishments, all of these achievements, worthless because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. You know what he's saying right here? He's saying, listen, I am trading everything for someone Accomplishment hasn't solved my insecurities. Achievement hasn't solved my insecurities. And it's not like the Apostle Paul is going to stop accomplishing things because, I mean, he's still going after it for the gospel's sake. But what he's saying is, I stop thinking that all these accomplishments, all these achievements were going to help me feel safe and secure and significant. Now, let me just pause and say something right here. Some of you are saying, okay, how do I wrap my head around that kind of identity of understanding who I am in Christ Jesus? It is what we're going to be talking about in the workshops that we're doing this Tuesday night and next Tuesday night, the 13th and the 20th on all of our campuses at uh, 6.30 p.m., all of our campuses. We're going to be digging in this a lot deeper. So if you haven't signed up, you want to stop by the gallery, they can give you more information, you can go on the app and sign up there. We'll just keep, keep unpacking this idea. But keep reading with me. He says, all these accomplishments, all these achievements, he says, I consider them garbage. That's why he had to write the word worthless earlier. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Don't miss that phrase. And be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And we're gonna be talking about that a lot in our workshops, what it means to be in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So here's kind of the question from this part of the passage. What did the apostle Paul discover in knowing Jesus, in being in Christ that was so important that it completely changed his value system? I mean, here's a guy who's this high achiever, a type A go-getter, but suddenly he's saying, I'm not achieving things as a cure for my own security or my own insecurity. He says, no, no, no. My insecurity, it has been resolved through faith in Christ, through my relationship with Christ. So the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I chose to trade all of my accomplishments, all of my achievements as a source of my security for something much more valuable, the unconditional love and acceptance of my heavenly Father. 
See, the Apostle Paul is saying, knowing and living in the unconditional acceptance of my heavenly Father is the cure for insecurity. In fact, you might want to write this down. Understanding that you are accepted through faith in Christ is the cure for insecurity. Now, notice we didn't say anyone's acceptance. No, no, no. Understanding you are accepted through faith in Christ is the cure for insecurity. Because it's not anybody's acceptance because other people's acceptance, your, your spouse's acceptance, your friend's acceptance, your children, your parents, it's too fickle, it's too fragile, it's too unstable, it's too conditional. No, the Apostle Paul says, I am trading all of my accomplishments and all of my achievements for God's unconditional, unwavering acceptance of me. Now, don't miss this. If you happen to drift off for just a moment and, and you're just, you know, this is where you need to come back because this is so important. Do you know what drives our emotion of insecurity? This is, this is going to give the answer why God's acceptance matters so much. Do you know what drives your emotion of insecurity? Here it is. At the heart of insecurity is the fear of rejection. See, that's why understanding you are accepted through faith in Christ is the cure for insecurity. Now, the, the fear of rejection, it comes up in many forms. So some, some of you ask it this way. You go, am I safe? Uh, other people, am I secure? Am I loved? Am I enough? Am I wanted? Am I significant? A am I successful? And what happens is, when, when we fear rejection and we're asking these questions, am I enough? Am I safe? Am I wanted? Am I secure? Am I significant? What happens is we start scrambling to get people to meet our need to help us feel like that we are accepted. And when somebody comes along and triggers our fear of rejection, we start feeling very insecure. So we start scrambling and we start scrambling to prove our worth and we start scrambling to prove our value. We start scrambling to prove our competence and we start scrambling to prove ourselves. And then we get in this crazy open loop mental scramble trying not to be rejected. And we work so hard not to be rejected until we feel like we're going to be rejected. And then we reject first. Right? You remember how that started, right? In middle school, that's how it was. Like you had a little boyfriend, a girlfriend, that kind of thing. And all of a sudden it's like you realize through the grapevine that your girlfriend's going to break up with you, your boyfriend's going to break up with you. And what did you do? You broke up first. Because it's better to be rejected or reject first than to be rejected, right? So we live in this crazy cycle as adults, trying not to be rejected until we feel like, oh, I'm going to be rejected, now I'm going to reject. So what we end up doing is we look to the left and we look to the right and we compare ourselves to other people because I'm afraid if I don't measure up, then I'm going to experience rejection. And for many of you, that fear of rejection, it drives your thoughts, it drives your feelings, it drives your actions. And here's what you have to understand. While you are busting your tail to achieve and accomplish because you want the acceptance and the approval of other people and you want to get rid of this fear of rejection, no amount of achievement, no amount of accomplishment will rid you of this fear of rejection because no matter how good you become, you're never going to be the best. You may be prettier or smarter or funnier or fitter or better at something for a period of time, but you're never going to be the smartest all the time, the prettiest all the time, the funniest all the time, the fittest all the time, or the best all the time. There's always going to be somebody ahead of you. 
What's going to end up happen is you're always going to be concerned that you haven't done enough to avoid being rejected. This is why no achievement, no accomplishment, no amazing idea, no relationship will cure your insecurity. Think about it. With all of his accomplishments and all of his achievements, the Apostle Paul realizes. He says, I'm taking a better reproach. Approach. He says this, there is a solution to that fear of rejection and that emotion of insecurity that comes from that fear of rejection. And here's what he says it is. It is God's unconditional acceptance. He says, when I came to know Jesus Christ, I realized for the very first time in my life that I already measure up, that he loves me and he accepts me unconditionally. And that is the only cure for my insecurity. Here's another way to say this. When you start living, and if you, if you haven't been taking notes, make sure you write this down or take a picture of this. When you start living from a place of acceptance, instead of fighting for acceptance, which is what most of us are doing, we're scrambling for acceptance. That's when you're gonna find peace and quit living in the emotional scramble you live in. Or another way of saying this, because it's not just anybody's acceptance, because people's acceptance is too fragile and too fickle, right, and unstable. You can say it this way, when you start living from a place of God's unconditional acceptance of you, instead of fighting for a person's or people's acceptance, that's when you'll find peace and quit living in the emotional scramble you're living in. So what does this mean for you? Well, to help you answer that, I want to give you a question to think about this week. Each week, we're going to give you a question to think about when it comes to your relationships. I want you to think about this question. Whose acceptance are you trying to achieve? See, everybody's trying to get someone's acceptance. Whose acceptance are you trying to achieve? Now, if you're honest with yourself, it's most likely the person in your life that you're probably a little bit frustrated with or irritated with because they don't make you feel the way you want them to make you feel. So whose acceptance are you trying to achieve? Like, it's that person that doesn't make you feel a certain way. Why don't they? Because you want them to make you feel a certain way so you feel accepted. See, what happens is, the reason that we have so much relational tension is because we're scrambling to get somebody else to meet our needs, to give us enough affirmation so we don't fear rejection. So whose acceptance are you trying to achieve? Well, let's get real practical and personal with this. And ladies, I'm gonna start with you because I love my wife and I love my two daughters and I love my two granddaughters. Now, I love my son and my granddaughters, I mean, my grandson, I mean, but man, my daughters and my granddaughters, I just feel like God has placed me here to help protect them from the culture. So I want to pick on you ladies first. And I'm trying not to get emotional about this when I talk about this. But ladies, most of you, you're trying to achieve acceptance and the way you do it is you get so consumed with how you look by how culture defines beauty. 
Like you are constantly comparing yourself, not just to the highlight reels of all the ladies that you hang out with and that you work with and live next door to you, but you're comparing yourself to all these computer-enhanced images of women on magazines or on commercials where they all just kind of been modified. So if you saw that person in person, you wonder if they're the same person. And here's what happens, ladies. You measure your self-worth by that. And you don't feel like you measure up. And so you're demeaning and you're critical of yourself because you don't meet some arbitrary standard that somebody out there, who knows where, New York, California, somewhere, set for this is what defines beauty for a lady in this world. And they don't know you and they don't even care about you. Can I tell you, ladies, something? Please, if nobody's ever told you this, please know this. You have been created and you have been accepted by the creator of the universe. You define what beauty is, not culture. You meet his standard. He, he made you and he said, this is very good. He declares that you are beautiful. You are more than enough. You don't have to alter your body. You don't have to do all that stupid Botox and all that other stuff you do to alter your body around, all that kind of garbage. Like you are perfect because every time you start messing with that, you're saying, God, you didn't make me perfect. And God's going, oh no, you're the definition of beauty. He created you. That's why Zephaniah the prophet says, listen, ladies, God delights in you so much that he sings and he dances over you with joy. And don't let no fool out there in this world tell you any different. And don't let any man diminish you. You define what is beautiful, not culture. So ladies, whose acceptance are you living for? If you live for man's or cultures, you're always gonna be diminishing yourself and think you're not enough. But just let the one who created you and designed you says, you are so beautiful. I delight in you. This is very good. Just let him love you and accept you unconditionally. Guys, let me, let me ask you the same question, guys. You thought you could get off the hook, didn't you? Yeah. So you guys, you're out there just busting it. Your life's out of control. Your schedule's out of control. You got no time to invest in your spiritual life and your friends and your family. Like you, you got no real relationship with your heavenly father because you're, you're going after it. I'm like, you, now you say you're just trying to put yourself in a position to pay your dues and pay your bills and provide for your family, but come on, be honest with yourself, guys. Whose security are you trying to earn? Whose acceptance are you secretly, secretly trying to gain and guys, most of you, it's a pretty big daddy wound, isn't it? You just would love to hear your daddy say, great job, I love you. For some of you, it's a coach said you'd never make it. For some of you, it's just yourself. You're just trying to say, man, I never thought I'd be enough because everybody was ahead of me, so I'm gonna show the rest of the world I'm enough. 
Maybe your ambition is driven by insecurity and the fear of rejection because you just never felt like that you were, you were never the fastest one, you were never the strongest one, you are never the one that was called handsome, you were never that. But God created you, man. He said, you're enough. He said, you're good. No, he said, you're very good. You're just what I want to do just what I need you to do in this world. His acceptance, man. College students, young adults. You hit this high school age, this college age, new in the workforce age, and you're going, you know, I'm gonna keep my values, I'm gonna maintain these moral standards that I have for my life, but things are already headed south and you're doing things that you said that you would never do. You made commitments to God about how you're gonna live with moral purity and you honor God first and now you're going places sexually that you said you would never go until you got married. You're engaging in behaviors now that you used to say were wrong, why? Like, did you suddenly discover that you had bad values? Or are your behaviors and choices, are they being driven by some sense of insecurity and some fear of rejection and some need to kind of fit in? Something that you haven't been able to shake. Like, whose acceptance are you trying to achieve as a young adult, as a high school, as your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you know, somebody at college with you, somebody you work with? Or is it your heavenly father? And let me just say something, girls. High school girls, teenage, any teenage girl, young adult girl, any lady. Listen, if you are having sex outside of marriage, trying to get some guy's acceptance and commitment, let, let me just go ahead and say, it'll never happen. Oh, you may end up marrying him one day, but he won't, you won't have his acceptance and you won't have his commitment because you are creating a codependent relationship by having sex outside of marriage. And by the way, if you allow a guy to have sex with you physically, it will be an act of a miracle of God for him to ever connect with you emotionally and spiritually before marriage. If you let him have physical relationship with you, sex before marriage, it's just... It's, I mean, it's, it takes a miracle of God for a man to be able to connect with his wife emotionally and spiritually. Because see, God designed it. God designed it so that you connect emotionally and spiritually and then after marriage physically. So young adults, man, don't, don't let culture push you in this mold. Whose acceptance are you trying to achieve? Parents, oh, you parents thought you were gonna get off. Listen, insecurity is rampant in parents. I have heard more moms and dads in the last five, 10 years ask their kids, do you love daddy? Do you love mommy? Listen, it was never your kid's responsibility to make you feel loved. That is like one of the most abusive questions you can ask a kid. It was your responsibility to make your kids feel loved. You need to be telling them how much you love them. And then let them grow up to be healthy, mature adults who know how to communicate love in a healthy way. And here's the other thing. There's no such thing as perfect parents. Parents, we know. We know. I was one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm still not a perfect parent, right? I'm not even a perfect grandparent. 
But some of you are so obsessed and appearing like you're this perfect parent, you got it all together, and then when your kids get out of line, you overreact and you're way too harsh, or you go the other way, and you don't want to react at all because you just want to be liked. You want to be your kid's best friend. And basically, your world revolves around your children. I mean, in your family, it's the reason your marriage doesn't work. In your family, the kids come first over your spouse. I mean, your kids are the CEO. Not because it's in the kid's best interest. That's what parents say. Oh, it's just we're doing this for the kid. No, it's never for the kid's best interest. Parents, we're way too selfish and insecure to make it for the kid's best interest. So parents, let me ask you. Who's the acceptance you're trying to achieve? The kids or God's? Because I'm going to tell you, if parents, if you do it right, there's going to be times your kids, you just got to look at them or my kids at least look at me and say, Dad, I hate you. And I go, well, that's all right. I love you enough that it'll cover the bridge of anything that you feel toward me. So don't worry about it. There's plenty of love here. And it's all amazing how we made it through that cycle where they just really just disliked me at times. And um, now we just love each other because as they hit their tw- late 20s and early 30s, I'm like, wow, all of a sudden dad just became this smart guy. Listen, this is an amazing answer. I mean, a question that we got to answer. But I want you to know that when you realize that you're unconditionally loved and accepted by your heavenly father, it changes everything that you value. It changes how you behave because you stop looking to accomplishment and achievement and these arbitrary standards that the world and people set for us. Those, those things cannot cure insecurity anyway. Instead, when you say, okay, God, I'm looking to you then you can find peace and contentment because you're running your own race. Because you know the one who created you, the one who gave his son for you, the one who loves you, who died on the cross, has already accepted you and loves you. So whose acceptance are you trying to achieve? What were you looking to tell you that you're doing okay, that you're doing all right? You're looking to a person, a group of people, achievements, accomplishments. If that's the case, you'll never have peace. You're always going to live with fear of rejection, insecurity in your life. Because the only cure is living in God's unconditional acceptance. That's what cures our insecurity. Listen, you're accepted. You're loved. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you help each one of us um, just sit in this. Receive from your spirit how you really feel about us. That we are accepted in the beloved. We're accepted through faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you help us to get to the place where we can say, as David said in Psalms 139, I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made and my soul knows that quite well because I am created by the creator of the universe. And he says it's very good. It's very good. Thank you for saying that over each one of us. And thank you that you love us And you accept us. 
so purely and so unwaveringly that you came to this earth, you lived, you died, you rose again so that we could enter into a personal relationship with you and we could hear every day and experience every day through the power of your spirit indwelling us. How pleased and how delighted you are in what you have made and created. God, help us. Help us this week to just start wrapping our head around this idea that I am accepted. I ain't got to prove anything. I'm enough in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week living in the acceptance of Jesus Christ. We'll see you next week.